0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. You know, you see a, a juicy a burger ad on TV or, or you see a billboard uh, um, you know, with a, with a hamburger and, and you see the juices coming off of its side and, and you're salivating, right, when you see it. Uh, but then you go and you buy it and what happens, you know? You get a dry piece of meat, you know, uh, welted lettuce and two funny looking buns. You know what I mean? It, it, you don't get what you pay for. Uh, we don't get um, the truth in, in, in advertising. Um, that's really what happens. No truth in advertising. In fact, I was watching a uh, TV program um, some time back about a, a kid pool, a pool that you blow up, right, that, that little kid's swimming. And there was five kids in the box in this pool. One of the kids was coming down the slide, and all the kids were splashing in the, in the box in the advertising. But then you go and buy it, and they blow up the, 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 the pool, and it's about that big, you know. There's one little kid in the pool. He looks like Goliath, right, in the pool. Um, and, 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 in fact, that company got sued because there is no truth um, in advertising, right? I, I can think of politicians, I'm thinking of one right now, <coughs> Obama, who campaigned <laughs> on the word hope. And, and what did we get? Right? Instead of hope, we got nope, right? And, and so there's no truth, no truth in advertising. Uh, but there's one person, there's one person who is, who is true. Huh? There's one person who is, the, the, the advertising is true. And again, that's the person of of Jesus Christ. In fact, I was thinking there's no word, no no, no word, no name that can describe how magnificent um, that person is, how magnificent Jesus Christ is. And that's why I think we need to kind of meditate. We need to uh, um, marinate um, in this wonder of the sun and this wonder of the Christmas season. Because like Pastor Manny says, man, for how many of us can't believe that it's December already? You know, I I know I can't. You know, it's just incredible the the way time flies, and and every year it just kind of just it kind of go faster and faster and faster. And before we know it, it's Thanksgiving, and you know there goes the Christmas ads and so forth. And before we know it, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. You know, and, and and we could get lost in in all that hoopla. And I think it's important that we stop, we reflect, and we think about what this uh, what this season is. So let me go ahead and pray one more time, and then we'll get into. Um, our passage today. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God, so much for your amazing grace. Thank you for your love uh, for us, Lord, that even in spite of us, God, um, uh, you continue to love us, Lord, that you love us, Lord, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done, Lord. Uh, Your word says that we love you because you first loved us, God. And we're so grateful for that, God. And, Lord, as we kind of marinate, we kind of... concentrate, Lord, on this verse, uh, I pray you would help us, Lord, to to pause for a little while, to stop, to slow down, and, and really, um, just really celebrate um, Jesus, uh, the reason for this season, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you. I pray that the, the the words of my mouth the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you, Lord. We praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, ladies, forgive me, because I know that you were here, what is it? A day ago or two days ago, right at the uh, at the coffee, and and uh, you were taught out of Isaiah nine six, and that's the verse that the Lord uh, put on my heart. So uh, it might be redundant; you might have heard it, and and uh, again. But I think you know it's kind of God confirming, um, you know, what He wants us to hear. And so, if you have a Bible, uh, why don't you turn to Isaiah uh, chapter nine, and we're going to be looking at just one verse six. Uh, so go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. I'll go ahead and start reading. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm sure a lot of you know that this is probably the most famous um, Christmas verse in all the Bible, right? I mean, you see it everywhere. Uh, when when it's, it's Christmas time, you're going to see a, a Isaiah 96 because it's incredible. It's an incredible verse that prophesies, that predicts the birth of Christ way before uh, Christ was ever born. And so we're going to kind of look at a little bit closely at this verse. And we're really going to just skim the surface because there's so much here. You can do studies on just each of the names that, that Christ is named here. Um, but before we kind of get into it, I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of background on the book of Isaiah. The, the book of Isaiah is, of course, named for the prophet uh, Isaiah who composed this book. Um, his name means the Lord is salvation, which is a beautiful name. Uh, it, it's known as the Little Bible. I just found this out as I was studying uh, because like the Bible, it has 66 books. Um, the book of Isaiah is also broken down into 66 chapters. And the overriding theme in the Bible, of course, is the salvation offered to us through Christ, right? And that really is the overriding theme. In fact, uh, above all the prophets, Isaiah tells of the salvation through through to Christ or f- from Christ to come more than any the prophet has ever told uh, of Christ coming, of Christ suffering, of Christ dying for us, of this baby that would be born, that would be the Messiah. Uh, It's Christ to come because it was actually written over 700 years before uh, the time of Christ, before Christ was born. Can you imagine that? 700 years before what we know as Christmas. Isaiah wrote these words. I like what someone uh, described Isaiah as. uh, It says, Never has there been another prophet like Isaiah who stood with his head in the clouds and his feet on solid earth, with his heart in the things of eternity and his mouth and his hands in the things of time with his spirit and the eternal counsel of God and his body in the very definite moment of history. Truly Isaiah may be called the dean of all prophets. Isaiah's ministry in the time that, that he wrote this, and it's important to kind of talk a little bit about this because it gives us the context of, of these amazing words that he wrote, this prophecy. He actually wrote this in a, in a very dangerous and, and dark time in Judah's history. Uh, the Assyrian power was rising. They were on the march, uh, uh, taking people into captivity uh, by droves. Uh, the, the people of God, the Israelites, Judah and Israel, they they, they they were compromising. And because of fear, they were turning to other nations for protection. And those nations were then turning on them. Um, and this, of course, went against everything that the Israelites were taught, right? Which is to depend solely on, on God Almighty. They weren't doing that. Um, sadly, it wasn't the heart of this nation to trust the Lord, even though God had brought them out of so many, so many different things. Someone described the, the, the time in Isaiah as him ministering um, both Israel under Jeroboam second and Judah under Hezekiah uh, in the zenith of prosperity. So it kind of reminds you of today, you know, and political power says, yet the seeds of destruction had germinated, that's a good word, are germinated, and almost reached maturity in both nations in the form of idolatry and in attendant vices, immorality, and, and in political corruption. I mean, that is a, a description of what's going on today. Um, and so because of that background, uh, God chose a, a man uh, to deliver a message, and that man was the prophet Isaiah who spoke. For God, that's what a prophet did in those times, and I think we need to consider the the, the passage in Second Peter where it talks about um, us approaching the Bible in a certain way, uh, us uh, approaching the prophets of the Bible, and also every word of the Bible. Second Peter one twenty to twenty one says, "Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God, spoke as they were moved." by the holy spirit so we need to kind of consider that as we're as we're, we're reading um the, the prophets as we're reading the bible that this was all inspired by the holy spirit uh, because in, in isaiah i think what we're going to see if you read it it's very interesting it is a mix of things that were happening things that were happening at their present and, and things that were to happen in in the future and in the far 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 away future the, the book of isaiah reveals god's judgment um and salvation at the same time. You know, the, the, the book of Isaiah in Isaiah 6-3 talks about the fact that God is holy. It repeats it three times. Holy, holy, holy. And so therefore, sin needed to be addressed. Sin needed to be taken care of. You know, we make that, that kind of analogy. What would a judge be if a murderer came into his courtroom and he just simply slapped him on the hand and let him go? That would be a bad judge. We would kick him out, huh? Out of that bench. And so God had to deal with, with this, and I hope Abel doesn't mind, because my, my little son's the same way. But yesterday they came to help, and throughout the whole process, you know, uh, little Noah, his grandson, he was just running around and doing things that he wasn't supposed to do, and, and Abel kept on saying, "Noah, stop it! Noah, stop it! Noah, stop it! Noah, stop it!" You know, on the first couple of times, and I don't blame uh, Abel, because grandpas aren't supposed to hit, huh? Right? Grandpas are they're just supposed to love, right? I, I get mine because I'm a dad. But grandpas, they're not supposed to do that. So he just kept telling him, no, I don't do that. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. First couple of times, Noah was like, oh. But after the fifth or sixth time, he's like, dude, you ain't going to do nothing to me, you know. Until, you know, the, 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 a, a piece of metal that we had back there uh, hit him in the head. And then he stopped. How are you both? Same way with my son Isaac. You know, we tell him, no, no, no. He f- looks at us at first. But after four or five times of telling us, of us telling him, he just thinks, we're not going to do anything. And that's the same way with God. He, he needed to address sin. He's a holy, holy God that needs to address it. And so in this book of Isaiah, we're going to see like a mix of things, right? We're going to see damnation and deliverance. We, we see sentence and salvation. We see punishment and pardon. We see affliction and affection. We, we see hell and heaven. Uh, we, we see perdition and paradise. We really see a picture of the lion and the lamb right? Jesus coming as a lamb the first time, loving, sacrificial, not to condemn, but to save the world. But the next time, what is he going to come like? He's going to come like the lion, right? That's kind of like the mix that you see here in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Arguments are put forward that this, uh, Isaiah was actually talking about King Hezekiah, which is kind of a, a trip to me because You know, to me, that argument falls flat on their face since none of these names, names that we're going to look at closer, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, could ever be applied to any man. Uh, Even a man like Hezekiah, who was a godly man, These words were directed for deity. They were for God and God only. So the argument that this was towards a man was obviously put forward by someone that that didn't want to address the deity of Jesus Christ, didn't want him to be God because the name of Jesus draws a line in the sand. Some have actually said, well, if, if this is about Christ, then why are none of the names applied in the, in the New Testament? It says there, their names will be called. His name will be called, right? And so the answer to that is, while Jesus isn't called these things in the New Testament, all of these things, of course, are certainly true about him in the New Testament, huh? Watch, turn with me real fast, if you can, to Luke chapter 1 verse 29 through 33 we're going to read and this is I think probably one of the passages that one of the guys I'm sure is going to choose because it's the Christmas story but it says in Luke 1 29 through 33 but when she saw him she being Mary him being the angel she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was then the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary For if you have found favor with God, and behold, he will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And this is where it kind of goes line with line with, with the prophecy of Isaiah. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So while these these words aren't used specifically about Jesus in the New Testament, all the truths apply to, to who he is, huh? The, the announcement of of, of angel, of the angel here, Gabriel wasn't a prediction. It wasn't a prophecy. It was an answer to the prediction. It was the answer to prophecy. I, I believe given here in Isaiah nine and elsewhere in the in the Old Testament. So when his name it says his name will be called, it doesn't mean that he should actually bear these names but that he deserves them, that he deserves them because they're descriptive of his character. They're descriptive of Jesus Christ, of Christ. So let's look a little bit closer at the, these, uh, these amazing uh, uh, titles, these names, um, and the text. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When I was looking at this, I thought right off the bat we see what? We see the incarnation of God. Manny always likes to talk about carnazada in heaven. And that's exactly what this word is. Or that's what I see when I see this. Incarnation of Christ. If you know Spanish, it makes sense to you. Know, in carne. Incarnation of Christ. That's what I see here because it says, For unto us a child with well, a capital C is born. He became a man. He became a man. He became a boy. He became a baby. The, the Baker Bible Encyclopedia, it says literally In flesh. Theologically, the doctrine, which is the incarnation that in Jesus of Nazareth, God took on human flesh and became the divine God-man. Biblically, it expresses the mystery of Jesus' identity. That that God, from everlasting to everlasting, put on flesh. And and he came here to tabernacle with us, to be with us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's talking about Jesus. I like what David Guzik says. It says, the birth of Messiah reminds Israel that the victory-bringing Messiah would be a man. Uh, It says, uh, theoretically, the Messiah could be an angel, right? Or the Messiah could have been God without humanity, but in reality, neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our Savior and High Priest as Jesus was. The child had to be born. And it's amazing when you think of the fact that God came to this world and he became a child or he came as a child. He was born into this world because if if you can't think of, 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 of a more defenseless individual than a baby, let me know. who Who's more defenseless? Who's more helpless than, than a baby? Nobody, huh? They're precious. Just the, the, the birth, the, the miracle of birth you know, we've, we've lost some babies, you know, in, 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 in this church. You know, the, the preciousness of life for a baby to come into earth, and now when you multiply that, that God came by a gazillion, right? It's amazing that Jesus, that God, put on flesh. Uh, I like what it says in Philippians 2, 5 through 7. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but him, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man or of a baby. Uh, in the incarnation, Jesus was stripped um, from his glory, but, but not his deity. And I think we need to remember that 100% man, 100% God. It's called the hypostatic union of Jesus fully being God and Jesus fully being man. Another thing that I notice is I love the emphasis on, on unto us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Because, you know, as Christians, we, we, we rightly so, right, want to take the emphasis off of us. We're taught that way. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about others. It's about God. But here the emphasis is on who? On us. Unto us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us. A son has given. We need to stop. We need to reflect that. God the Son became a man for us. God's full power embodied in this little tiny body for you and for me. God the Father gave His Son for us. How many of you are fathers here? How many would be able to contemplate giving up your Son for someone? Someone good you still wouldn't do it. But now think about somebody bad, someone that's spitting in your face, someone that can care less. And that was us, huh? That was us as humanity. God the Father gave his son. What an amazing gift. Well, I'm going to top the gift that I gave my wife last year. This year I'm going to give her a diamond ring, an exotic vacation, just making an example, babe, okay? No can do. (laughs) But it's really nothing. It's really nothing compared to the gift that God gave us, huh? She was already looking at her finger. Like, let me try it on. <laughs> Nothing can compare to that gift, huh? You know. Again, usually as Christians, we're ta- we're taught to take the emphasis off of us. But I don't know about you. I'm so glad that that the emphasis here is for us, unto us. A child was born unto us. A son was given for our benefit. The the verse that blows me away has uh, always blown me away when I first read it is found in Revelation 13. And I'll just read it to you because it's speaking of Jesus' it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundations of the world. And that's the the the, the words that I want to emphasize. Slain from the foundations of the world because what is that saying? What is that telling us? That that Jesus knew that the Father knew from the foundations of the world that the Lamb, that this baby born to die, would one day be slain from the foundations of the world before Genesis 1-1. I don't know about you, but that that blows me away that this was all planned. Jesus being eternal purpose to be obedient to the Father, to put on flesh, to put on carne, to be born as a helpless child, uh, by those he created, to be helped by those he created, to be helped to walk, to be helped to eat, to be taught, all these things, to, to be changed, all these things by those he actually created. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Um, the father who loves his son, purposed from the foundations of the world before Genesis 1-1 again, to slay his son who he, who he loved more than anyone in this world. That That right there is truth in advertising. Unto us, the Son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder this of course it's it 's going to be fulfilled in the millennium right when jesus reigns he 's going to reign with a with a rod of iron. Isaiah foresees into the future and he sees Jesus with the government on his shoulders and so one day that will happen i don 't know about you i 'm a visual type of guy that 's why I like graphics and stuff like that. I was actually going to do a graphic you know with with the Atlas man. you guys know all that picture right of, of holding up the world, you know but was kind of skimpy, so I'm like, I better not go there. <laughs> but that's the visual that I get, you know, when I, when I think of Jesus with the government on his shoulder. You know, uh, remember the first time Jesus came and, and, and the people wanted to make him king? What did he do? He avoided it, huh? He, he, he fled, he left, because his kingship was to take place after his suffering, after his death on the cross, after the victory and the agony of, of being there hammered on that tree. It wasn't before. What politician do you know today that would do that? None. So can you imagine when this government is upon his shoulders? Can you imagine the world we're going to be in, the, the world we're going to live in? It's going to be, like it says, Amazing. So let's let's briefly look at the names of Isaiah that Isaiah uses for Jesus. Um and again, I can we could we do studies, and, and there are studies that are done just on the names. But for the sake of time, let's just kind of skim uh, some truth from them. And it says, and his name will be called. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a cool name, huh? We'll start with the one the first one. Wonderful. I mean. The word means to marvel. It means extraordinary. It's something hard to understand. It speaks of God's acts of judgment and redemption, the book of Isaiah. It's a miracle. It's, in fact, it's the same word, Pele. You guys are soccer fans? It's like the Pele, the soccer player. Used in Psalm eighty-nine five, where it says, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. That word wonder is wonderful. We kind of throw it around like it's nothing right it's not wonder bread it's not wonder woman it's not stevie wonder it's jesus christ that's who we should wonder at it's something awe-inspiring it's breathtaking but i was thinking can you imagine naming your kid that like oh he's my son wonderful acosta that's just it's really that kid that i see running around the whole church (laughs) tripping the elderly And you're the dad? Oh man. It just it just doesn't go. Uh, It could only be for for Jesus Christ. And so I think we need to consider the the wonder of who Jesus is. The the consider you know the wonder of his birth, Isaiah 7:14. Again in Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's that's amazing. That's a wonder. His birth, his virgin birth. Consider the wonder of his ministry, the humility in which he carried out his life, his ministry. But consider the wonder of his miracles. Consider the wonder of his wisdom. and those parables he told. Even non-believers, even atheists, they, they marvel at, at just the, the, the wisdom found in, in, in those parables. The wonder of the death on the cross. Like Pastor Manny says, you know, the only God that is humiliated by dying on the cross for us—to wonder at that, to wonder at the resurrection, the resurrection, the fact that He didn't stay down, He rose—that is our God. That's truth and advertising. You see. Then He says, Counselor, Counselor, Counselor. It means to advise, to consult, to give counsel. Purpose to advise. It means to plan. The, the dictionary of Bible themes. I like the, the description that it gives. It says, those who give advice and counsel. And then it says, human advice is desirable, but not always reliable. Only God's counsel is wholly dependable. I love the Proverbs. We're in the Proverbs you know, every Saturday at the men's prayer. And Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by, by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And it's true. It's true. You, you are wise when you have wise counsel. Got to make sure it's wise though, right? You know, it's even true that in the multitude of godly counsel, again, making sure that it's godly godly counsel, there's safety. But nothing beats, nothing beats the counsel of God, right? I like that verse found in Isaiah as well. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, Isaiah twenty-eight, twenty-nine. he says, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Of being our counselor, uh, Jesus, David Guzik said, Jesus is the one fit to guide our lives and should, be, and should be the Christian's immediate resource as a counselor. Jesus can help you with your problems. He may even use the presence and the words of another Christian to do it, but Jesus is and should always be our counselor. That's why you know, we need to have a, our devotional time. That's why we need to have that quiet time with the Lord in prayer and in the word so that he can counsel us. That's why we need to be in fellowship with other Christians, not talking about the football game, which is cool to do, but making sure that we also talk about the study or a verse that God has been putting on our heart. That is true fellowship. That's how we hear from God. That's how God counsels us. One of the things, and we've said this before, you know, that we see, and I've learned this from Pastor Manny, and I'm still learning this and i I think as friends some of us have talked about it that when you go to manny and you ask him for advice he never gives it to you and you're like dude give me some some, something something and he just just doesn't he just says we'll pray about it we'll take it to the lord because he knows right that man's counsel it'll only take you so far but if god's the one that's directing you well then praise god his will is going to be carried out and so why is he the counselor i think it's because of his next title huh that Isaiah gives mighty, mighty God. I love this. I love this because it's blunt. It's a blunt title. In case there was any doubt of who Jesus is, he is mighty God. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Him. If that isn't God, who is He? He is mighty God. Let there be no doubt. John one one: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John one three: And all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing that was made was made. This is mighty God. This is our Savior. This is Jesus Christ. Right now I'm reading a book by John Phillips titled Jesus Our Lord, and when it comes to this name, mighty God, He says, who among us has not stood and stared into the vast immensity of space on a clear night and wondered about the vast countless worlds that sparkle brightly up there? At such moments, we are reduced again to little staring children, and we sing that old nursery song, right? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky. I remember when I was little, I used to sit and and just look up at the clouds, And, you know, there was, you know, part of it where I said there's a dog, and you know how we do when we're kids, right? But there was also a part of me that was just in awe of what I saw. There was was something in me, and I know now today that that was God, that, that I said, this is amazing. This is incredible. There has to be someone out there. There has to be a purpose. There's no way all this was created. This is a kid, okay, already thinking like that without someone creating it. If we just open our eyes, if we just stop, if we just contemplate for a lot while, there is no way of denying that there is a God. And yet, you know, when you think of, of how puny, you know, the universe is compared to God, and then you think of how puny the world is compared to God, you realize that even in this fallen world, even in this world that has fallen apart before us, we have a mighty God. A mighty God who is on the throne. A mighty God who knows the beginning from the end. A mighty God who has already planned it out. A mighty God who's given us the person of Jesus Christ, who is God, to save us from, from disaster. It's amazing. That's truth in advertising, guys. That's the glory of this Christmas season. That is the wonder of the sun. That is why we celebrate it. The reason why we have a tree and these stars and these... Beautiful ornaments is not because we're trying to worship the solstice god or all these other things that people come up with. It's because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. We're celebrating the reason for the season. That's truth in advertising. The next, the next name Isaiah uses is Everlasting Father. And this one, man, it, it, while incredible, it, it's brought up a lot of confusion, hasn't it? You know, Calvary Chapel's one thing is that, you know, we're taught right and, and we, we believe in the Trinity, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Yet here for the Son, He's given the name Everlasting Father. What gives? You know, how, how, how does that work? Well, I think the first thing that we should definitely be convinced of is that Isaiah wasn't confusing Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, with the Father, the first member of the Trinity. He wasn't doing that. The, the Son of God is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. Let's get that straight. None of this oneness, you know, theology stuff. Three. Three persons, one God. And so while they're uniquely the same in their substance, they're separate and distinct in persons. We need to know that, right? I like how kind of like an apologetic website that I was looking at, I think it's called CARM, kind of tackled this. It said, in the ancient Jewish culture, names had meanings. It says, you can better understand this by noting American Indian names such as the running wolf or fighting bear. For me, it would be the round elephant, right? The, the same is with Jewish names, right? They, they, they had meaning for Isaac. It means laughter. That's why we named our son Isaac. I'll tell you the story later, all right? Um, for, 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 for different people in the Bible, in the Bible there's meaning, right? For Noah, it means rest or peace. That's what Abel was telling little Noah the day, rest, peace. I wouldn't listen, right? He's a blessing, no. So when Isaiah is speaking of the name of the coming Messiah and says his name will be Mighty God or Eternal Father, it's telling us about the characteristics of the Messiah to come. That's it. It's not confusing. Him for the first person of the Trinity. It's just telling us about the characteristics. In fact, Everlasting Father speaks of the fact that Jesus is the author of salvation, which affords us eternity, right? It's because of him that we can go on to eternity. The, the father title speaks of his heart, the fact that he loves us like a father. Like Paul, when he, when he calls himself a father for the churches, it's not confusing the title of the father, first person. It's just saying his characteristics, his heart. That's what it's talking about. Spurgeon, man, I love his commentary on this particular name. It says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, who brought life and immortality to light and introduced a new phase of worship to this world, is in that respect a father. He is the father of all Christians, the father of Christianity, the father of the entire system under which grace reigns through righteousness. Jesus is the father of a great doctrinal system, all the great truths, which are in the habit of delivering in your hearing as the precious truth of God sent down from heaven fell first clearly and powerfully from the lips of Jesus. The last name that's given by Isaiah um, for the yet-born Savior is Prince of Peace. And boy, do we need a Prince of Peace right now, huh? It's a beautiful name, isn't it? Prince of Peace. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to, to see that we're living in a very, very tense world, in a world that's fallen apart before us, Paris, our backyard yesterday of San Bernardino. Uh, uh, the Middle East, Syria, um, the crime uh, man I, we don 't talk a lot about this, but the addiction to meth that is destroying our community, starting first with the city of Almani it, it's incredible you know how this world is falling apart um, and, and yet the world is trying to throw all kinds of solutions at it, huh it's throwing all kinds of of supposed answers which none of them stick. None of them are the answer. This world is not the answer. Psychiatrists are not the answer. I was reading a book who who the author says he has a personal friend of a psychiatrist who says every psychiatrist needs a psychiatrist. Go figure. Okay? Uh, Politicians, kings, democracies will never be the answer. Only the Prince of Peace can fix this like Manny was saying earlier. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys know who Pastor David Trujillo is, but he posted something on his Facebook page that caught my attention, and I was kind of like, yeah, I concur with that. You know, He, he posted the, the front uh, headlines of the, the daily newspaper with the title, God Isn't Fixing This. How many of you guys seen that? Okay, a couple of you. And I was just thinking when I read that, you know, the audacity, the audacity of this world who wants nothing to do with God, who, who spits in God's face, who, who, who ridicules the greatest gift we've ever been given in the person of Jesus Christ, but as soon as something happens, they're ready to blame him. Huh? They're ready to blame him. But I, I love Pastor David's response. In fact, I, I think we have a quota, but you can't see because Big Elephant is on the way, right? Uh, but it's a direct quote, and I'll read it to you. It says, really, I, I'm, I'm living proof that God can fix this. He says, from a violent gangster to loving pastor, God saved me and has been fixing me by renewing my mind. Romans twelve two. Don't tell me he can't. He is and will through the gospel message of the cross. Change. How dare they mock us who believe in God? And then he asked God almost in a prayer, Lord, have mercy, have mercy for them. It's simple, huh? Manny talked about it last week. No God, no peace. But N-O, God, N-O, peace. It's, it's pretty simple. Isaiah 53.5 says, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, for our benefit. Unto us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given. Was upon him. Was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Ephesians 2.14, similar, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I saw a video, um, and it reminded me kind of of this. It was a man who was, I hope I don't mess it up, on a barber, uh, barber chair. He was getting his hair cut, um, and all of a sudden the barber sneezed. You know, And so as a polite Christian, the, the man offered him a blessing, right? I'll just kind of play it out. Achoo! God bless you right so the bar- the barber, obviously an atheist, uh, said, "You really believe in God you know you, you, the stuff ain't true, man. Give it up how can it, how can God, a loving God, allow all these things to happen, allow all these tr- atras- atrocities to happen? How could God, that one question that every Christian gets from people, allow good people to be harmed, right? good people to be hurt. Well, there's a simple answer to that there is no such thing as good people we all fall short of the glory of God that's what Romans tells us but you know this man got off of the barber, barber chair and he kind of walked away stunned he didn't know how to answer you know this barrage of this barber and so he, he left you know he left he couldn't answer that, that, that question why do bad things happen to good people but seconds later he, he comes back in I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. It's a good one. With this long-haired hippie-looking dude like Doug Dynasty, right? Beard, you know, all the way down. And and, and he stands there at the front of the the, the door, you know, and he looks at the barber and he says, Excuse me, sir. So the barber looks at him and he says, Barbers don't exist. (laughs) The barber kind of laughed and he said, Of course they do. That's ridiculous. I'm a barber. I've been a barber for 32 years. And so this man says, Well, how do you explain this raggedy looking dude if if barbers do exist and so the barber you know had, had an easy reply he says hey they just don't come to me to get cleaned up and the man simply smiled and he says well there it is man it's the same thing with god he exists they just don't come to him to get cleaned up to be forgiven they don't repent they don't surrender their hearts to jesus christ the savior I love that because, again, I'm a visual guy, and it, it, it was just cool to watch it, but it's so true, huh? Jesus is our peace. He's our peace. He, he paid the penalty for me so that I can have peace with God. I concur with David Trio. I know who I was before the Lord, and I know I still fall so short, so short, but I know I'm forgiven, and I know that God is doing a work in me, and, and those things that I fall short, I hate them. I detest them. That wasn't who I used to be. I used to thrive in them. I used to perfect them. The only time I would feel bad is when I got caught. But now I just, just man, I mess up. I say something to my wife. I do something and I'm just like, ugh. Why? Because I'm a good person? No. Because God is living in me. God is doing a work. He is faithful to complete that work which he started in us, the Bible says, right? That's truth in advertising if I ever heard one. Isaiah wrote this amazing prophecy hundreds and hundreds of years before God so that people would turn from their ways, repent and turn to God so that people would be saved. And then one Christmas Eve, hundreds and hundreds of years later, God, he came. He came in the form of this little baby. That's the wonder of the season, guys. That's why we need to stop. That's why we got to get rid of the Black Friday nonsense, man. Do you guys see those videos of people just throwing blows and stuff like that? The reason for the season is to get a 32-inch for $199? Really? Come on. The reason for the season is for us to stop, especially as Christians, to contemplate, to marinate, to think about the person of Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of the season. Our Savior bears these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's known by many more, huh? He is the truth, the way, the life. That's truth in advertising. Let's celebrate this truth. Let's celebrate Him. Let's fall on our face, not for the things that we want, but just for the mere privilege of knowing Him, of being saved by Him, of calling Him our Savior. Let's share Him. Not by being weird and complaining that a cup doesn't have Merry Christmas on it. Come on get real, man. But by being lights, like it says in Matthew five sixteen, right? This Christmas season and every day, let your light so shine before men that they may be, see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. On Wednesdays, we're, we're in the book of Galatians and Paul said that they, they, they didn't know me, man. They didn't know who I was. They just knew that I was sharing and preaching Jesus and they glorified God. Wow. That that would be our goal. This Christmas season, that that would be our heart, you know, to shine, so that He would be glorified. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte, at air code six two six four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.